After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Today's guest is Senator Daniel Inouye, who broke into politics in 1954 with his election to the Territorial House of Representatives. When Hawaii became a state on August 1959, Senator Inouye won election to the United States House of Representatives as a new state's first congressman. Senator Inouye is currently serving his seventh consecutive term in the Senate. He worked for additional jobs for Hawaii's economy and health and human services in rural communities. His other projects include affordable housing and the protection of America's natural resources. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Senator Daniel Inouye. Welcome to our show, Senator. Thank you for being here today. It's good to be here. So congratulations because you've served Hawaii as Senator for a little over 40 years, 44 years now. How do you feel about well, that? I've been in since 1963, but I was in the House before then, from 59 when Hawaii became a state. And before then, I was in the territorial legislature. That's before your folks were born. You've been in politics for so long. What is it that keeps you going doing this type of work? Well, I must say I love my work. I love the challenges, and they're almost daily. So there's no dull moment in my life. Uh, I would think that people who make money live a dull life. They have to spend a lot of money to make their lives exciting. But in my case, uh, every day is an exciting day. What, and I mean that. What made you interested in being involved in politics? Well, when I was 17, Pearl Harbor was attacked. And I soon found out that I was an enemy alien because of a decree of the government. My parents were Japanese. And then, uh, as a result, I could not put on the uniform of this land. Then finally, uh, in early 43, they opened the doors and we volunteered. And I served in the military as an 18-year-old private, became a sergeant, then a lieutenant, and a captain. And wounded four times. And when I got out of the service, I felt that I should do something to help people. Now, this sounds high and mighty, but I, I meant that. After spending time in the military and watching my friends die and get wounded, I couldn't see ourselves going back to the plantation mode of life. And so, though I had planned to become a doctor, that was out of the question, so I decided to go to law school and become a politician to the chagrin of my folks, you know, because 
politicians were not highly regarded at that time. And in some quarters, they're still not highly regarded. But uh, I went to law school, and after I got out, I became an assistant prosecutor for one year. Then I tried running for office, and I was successful. When you first got back from the war, was it something that happened during that experience that made, made you clear about your path to politics and public service? You know, after serving in the military, and when you realize that government made a lot of decisions, the, one of the greatest decisions is to go to war and have your sons and daughters killed. But there are other decisions that are made by government that affect all of our lives, education for one, health conditions, environment, etc. And I felt that uh, as a citizen of the United States, uh, I did my part and I, I should do my part again. So before deciding that you were going to enlist and then eventually decide that you're going to be a politician, when you were a young boy, was your path towards being a doctor? Well, I was the eldest son in the family. And in my generation, that made a difference. My father was the eldest. My grandfather was the eldest. In fact, for seven generations, I'm the eldest. So my grandparents worked in the fields in Kauai. And my father began his education at the age of 14. And so they looked upon me as their eldest son to do something about the family. And uh, I was brought up in that sense, even from an early age being told that uh, never dishonor your family. You know, it's rather difficult to tell my son, never dishonor your family, but in my generation, it was a common phrase, don't dishonor us, don't bring any shame to us. And um, they were very pleased that I wanted to be a physician because, let's face it, at that time it was an advancement in status. School teacher, doctor, lawyer, getting out of the plantation. But then when I was wounded they were stunned, but uh, I said I'm going to be a lawyer. But I didn't tell them right off that I wanted to be a politician. <laughs> when was it that you felt that your parents thought that being a politician was okay? I think my parents would have approved anything I wanted to be. They had that much faith, but they would have preferred that I, well, my mother wanted to be a minister, uh, because this is what happened. Now, before I began my surgical work and rehabilitation work, I had to face a panel of experts to determine my future. And uh, after several consultations and examinations and taking tests, the panel concluded that number one, I should be a teacher, if not a social worker, third, a minister, or fourth, a politician. And there's one thing in common, you deal with a lot of people. 
They said, I would be very unhappy doing research all by myself in a laboratory, but uh, I would be in my best element if I dealt with a large number of people. So when I told that to my mother, wow, she was enthralled, you know, because um, my mother has an interesting story on her side. She was an orphan at four. She spent uh, a little while at Susanna Wesley home in an orphanage, and she was adopted by the bishop of the church. And so it was Bible reading and hymn singing every night for her. So she wanted me to be a minister. Did you feel any tension between your um, religion that you're brought up in? I mean, that, that your family was? And oh. I was brought up as a Christian, a Methodist. My father was brought up as a Buddhist. But uh, my mother was very strict, and when my father says, may we go to lunch, she says, you want to take me to lunch? You get baptized first. <laughs> she was a member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, and they don't get any tougher than that. What do you think is the most important thing your mom taught you? My mother was uh, always very generous with me. But she always told me that as the eldest son, you must sacrifice. You must never bring shame to the family. And whatever you do, do your best. And she said, uh, never be unkind. She always said, there's always a tomorrow. I've always applied that. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. We're back with Senator Daniel Inouye, who broke into politics in 1954. You know, you mentioned about being a leader of your staff, and also Hawaii looks at you as one of our leaders, and you've also dealt with many leaders being in politics. What are five traits that you think a person needs to have to be an effective leader? Well, my mother from a very early age, and I'm talking about two, three years old, pounded into me that no one is too good for you, but you're not too good for anyone else. Titles are titles. It's what's inside of you that counts. And after a while, you begin to believe that, and I believe that. So I find it comfortable sitting down with CEOs or sitting down with interviewers 
or with kings or prime ministers. They have their problems, the emotions. I have my problems and emotions. And as long as I treat them courteously and decently, I would expect that from them. My mother taught me a good lesson. No one's too good for you. And don't be afraid. Are we able to go back a little bit and talk about 442nd to bring people up to speed that may not be that familiar with it? You know, as you're looking back on that now, how has that affected your life today? Immensely. Well, first of all, to be a youth of 18, 17 at that time, and be told in your face that you're an enemy alien. My neighbors were good, all very friendly. But to have the government of the United States, the, the country you love, tell you that you're an enemy alien, you know, that's a blow. Then uh, they tell you you can't serve in the military because you can't be trusted. And so when the regiment was formed, it was a natural thing for the men who volunteered. They did so for one reason, to prove that they were just as good as anyone else, good Americans. And so when we were given assignments, we never complained. And when we got the assignment to rescue the lost battalion, the attitude among many of the men uh, was simple. This is what we wanted. This is our opportunity. Well, in a battle that lasted four and a half days, five days, our casualty rate exceeded 800. Of that number, over 200 dead. Now, compare that to today, two dead today or three yesterday. We had over 200 in four days. But as a result, at least in the military family there, no one said we were not Americans. Are you comfortable with that, taking us through what it was like? Oh, no problem. Uh, and the story oh, behind? Well, the big day for me is April 21st. Because on April 21st, I received my last wound. And the last wound uh, blew my arm off. So that meant that uh, I can never be a surgeon. See, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I had it all figured out. But uh, that was out of the question. And uh, I'm going to tell you something that very few people are aware of. In World War II, when the battles were so intense and so large, the casualty rates were in the hundreds, thousands. And these field hospitals really were not able to accommodate them. We had no helicopters. In my case, I was evacuated at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I got to the field hospital at midnight, nine hours. So when you get to the hospital, you've got a whole bunch of people on stretchers. And a crew comes around, a couple of physicians and a couple of attendants, and they'll look at this and say, tent number one, tent number one, tent number two, tent number three. Do you know what that meant? One in that case meant treat them right away. Number two, take it easy because this one can last a long time. Number three, forget it. That's on the verge of death. I was in tent number three. 
And the chaplain came by and he says, God loves you. I said, I'm certain he loves me, <laughs> but I'm not ready to see him yet, you know. And he looked at me, he says, you know, I believe you. I said, yes, I've got a whole life ahead of me. So I went to tent number one. Did you mean he moved you to tent number one? He called in the staff and says, take him to tent number one. I had 17 transfusions. So the crew did not make a mistake. You know, if they hadn't looked after me for a couple of more hours, I think I would have just faded away. How were you coherent at the time? Well, it's part of discipline, because after you've been in combat for about a year, you know that once you sleep, you go into shock, and that's it. So I made certain I was awake. See, my last wound was at noon, but I stayed until three to get the men settled down. And uh, I just determined to stay awake. I carried on a stretcher all the way for nine hours up and down mountains. Your men carried you? Prisoners. <laughs> I couldn't afford to have my men go because we needed all the men. One person to guard me and German prisoners. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek Work with Monsters so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Senator Daniel Inouye, who broke into politics in 1954. When you were rehabilitating and recovering in the hospital, is that when you were next to Bob Dole? Yes, I got very friendly with Bob Dole. He, he has a bum arm. Um, yeah. In fact, I used to kill him. I said, why don't you cut it off? <laughs> it was useless. But he told me once in a firm voice, I came in with four limbs, I'm going out with four limbs. He did, even if it's useless, you know. There was another senator there. He was a colonel. His name was Phil Hart. The, my office is in the Hart building. So I've had the privilege of knowing two senators before they were senators. But um, an important part of my life was in the hospital. And it's something that you don't see present-day patients go through. Today, for example, it's a matter of funds, I suppose. A patient with my disability would be out of the hospital in about six months. Then after that, if he needs treatment, he goes to the VA hospital. 
In my case, I was in a military hospital for 21 months. My surgical and medical side was resolved, oh, in about nine months. I received the prosthetic appliance, uh, my side was patched up, my leg was patched up, and uh, then they began rehab. And that's interesting. I never drove before I left Hawaii, so I had to take lessons to qualify to drive in every state and every territory. I had to play a couple of sports. I qualified in basketball and swimming. I had to learn how to do carpentry, electrical work and plumbing, not as an expert, but for example, uh, you know, you may be asking yourself, how would I pound a nail with one hand? In those days and today, you can find spools of thread, wooden spools, there's a hole in the middle. Now you put that over your target, put a nail in there and bang, pick off the stool and bing, boom, boom, hey? I'm pretty good at that. Then I had to learn a musical instrument. Saxophone was out of the question, you need two hands for that. So they suggested the trumpet. See, all you need are three fingers, right? Well, the instructor said, uh, you can read music, because I read music before, but your lips are too soft. <laughs> My wife would say so too. <laughs> but he said, why don't you try the piano? I qualified on the piano, playing one-handed. But they also taught you the real rehabilitation. Now, when I got home from the hospital, my mother asked me, uh, after I spent about a week at home, I said, I'm going to Waikiki. She said, oh, you're going shopping. I said, no, I'm going swimming. And she was horrified. The thought that I would expose myself with my injury in the public to swim. Well, in Michigan, where we did swimming, we did so in a public lake, and you get used to it. I just hope today's disabled veteran can do the same thing. They taught us how to dance. I don't know if I should tell you this is a family program, so. <laughs> is that a family yeah, program? They even taught us how to make love. <laughs> oh, yeah? What do you, you mean? What do you mean? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so I'm going to outside. Okay, I'll tell you. Okay. One lesson, that's all, one day. And the lesson was make certain that your loved one sleeps on your bad side. See, it's human nature not to expose your ugliness to your loved one, right? If you had scars on this side, you would want your wife on this side. That's human nature. And the instructor says, if you have your loved one on your good side and you put your arm around her, you better have educated toes. <laughs> See? Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. 
Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Staying cool on Hawaiian time. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. Neptunites, For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. We're back with Senator Daniel Inouye, who broke into politics in 1954. When you were in the hospital, in your book you mentioned a nurse that was trying to help you with a pack of cigarettes, and that became a learning lesson for you. Oh, Can you share that with us? That was the first nurse. In those days, just about every man smoked. We had free cigarettes. And that's how we became addicted. I never smoked before I got in the service. And so I'm in the hospital. I'm now conscious. I wanted a cigarette. So I asked the nurse, may I have a cigarette? She said, just a minute. She went away. She brought a brand new pack, threw it on my chest, and walked away. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I had to rip it open. I've never opened a pack single-handedly. How do you do it? So the first thing I thought about was just to tear it with my mouth, and I tore up half the cigarettes, but I got it out, and I have it in my lips. The nurse comes by and says, Oh, you need a light. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes back and picks up a book of matches, you know, the folding type? throws it on my chest. You know, I want to curse her. I open it up. What am I supposed to do with this? And I did everything possible. Nothing happened. So she came by and says, Oh, good, you quit smoking. Smoking is not good for you. <laughs> and I had to say, I don't know how to light it. Oh. So she taught me how to light it, one-handed. Then she said, I'm not going to be around here for the rest of your life. You'll have to learn how to light your own matches, cut your own meat, dress yourself, and do everything else. So from now on, you're gonna be learning. I fell in love with her. Did you ever feel sorry for yourself Never. while you were there? So when did it become the point where you decided um, it's not about you anymore and you wanted to give back and help others? Oh, when I got in the hospital, I figured that uh, I was lucky. See, in the hospital I was in, orthopedic patients, amputees, like Bob Dole. Second, burn cases, oh, they're terrible. No eyelids, no nose, no lips, you know, that type. And the third case, brain injury. Just sitting there, not knowing what's happening. 
I look at them and I say to myself, man, you're lucky. All you did was lose your arm. These people have lost their character, personality, everything else. And the third category, you're going to be a burden on the family for the rest of your life. And then that's where you decided. That's when I decided, uh, you know, I'm healthy. I'm, I'm lucky. And this country has been good to me. I got a pension for the rest of my life and everything else. I'm going to get free education. Well, the least I can do is to reciprocate. So here I am. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii. <laughs> 